And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The race is on, and the driver market merry-go-round has been whirring frantically this week, with Sebastian Vettel's divorce from Ferrari leading to Carlos Sainz being signed to replace him, and Daniel Ricciardo slotting into the vacancy at McLaren. And there will be more deals to come. I'm Ed Straw, and there's no surprises in my guest lineup because we've retained the services of Mark Hughes and Scott Mitchell. Uh, Mark, amid all this, has the old uh, typing finger been working furiously on the on the typewriter with the, everything that's been going on? It has. It's been a blur. Yeah, and some of the, some of the characters are getting um, rubbed off the the keys. Actually, yeah. I'm going to try and bring to life your typing style because you, you kind of type in the style of someone pointing furiously but very rapidly. Yeah, I don't see what the problem is with that. It's um, you know, the, the if you're talking about a critical path analysis, it's not the typing speed that determines how long it takes to write a feature, is it? It's the thinking speed. Well, it depends who you're talking about. I tend to just, as long as, long as there's a thousand words that are real words, that'll do me. Yeah, well, it's getting them in the right order and things, isn't it, really? That is indeed the trick. And another person who has been uh, hammering stuff out frantically on a keyboard is uh, is Scott Mitchell. Always fun when all this happens, isn't it? Yeah, I don't even worry about making sure they're real words. I'd, I'd just start pounding the keyboard and then just send it. It's the sub's job to make me look good, so... Yeah, that's fair, and uh, they do a very, very good job because some of your stuff in its final form it looks very good, and people would actually it's think, borderline legible, isn't it? It is actually, it's actually <laughs> genuinely good. Yeah, and uh, uh, because of that, there's there's loads of stuff on the race website. So that's the race.com, and don't forget the hyphen. Loads of loads of different angles, some of which we we'll delve into on this podcast. Uh, We've covered Vettel leaving Ferrari uh, in our previous podcast. There's lots uh, lots about him there. But we're really going to focus on the science deal and the Ricardo deal and the knock-on effects of that. So let, let's start with, with Carlos Sainz, Scott. Uh, you know, a sensible move. There, there's very few people saying that this is a this is a mad choice, even if Daniel Ricardo was seen as the favourite. Yeah, I think it's um I think you basically split sort of Carlos Sainz the the response to signs his appointment down the middle because the the people in his corner um recognize the job that he's done particularly last year you can see the the gains he's made as a racing driver uh, but the detractors will not unfairly point to the fact that he he has often been slightly unspectacular and i think that's more a legacy of him going under the radar than it is a reflection of his true ability but what it, for, if someone has followed Sainz's full career, he has always been a slightly, slightly below spectacular talent. If you look at, I think in Formula Renault he won Northern the Northern European Cup and was second to was it Robin Frines in Euro Cup. So that that in itself there he marks himself out really early on as as well as being the son of the legend that is Carlos Senior. He's by in his own rights he's looking like a really good talent. But then he was. He was a bit sort of mediocre, wasn't he, in Formula 3 and GP3. He was a race winner, and I'm not trying to 
make out like he was a no hope or anything like that. But it was when he got into 3.5 that he suddenly emerged as the, it was almost like all that potential finally started to come together. And I I quite like the, the symmetry between, he got his F1 chance because Vettel left Red Bull and wanted to join Ferrari. And now he's got his second big F1 break because Vettel's leaving Ferrari and, and Carlos is going there to replace him. But a lot has happened in in the meantime. And I think depending on how much you've paid attention to Sainz's five seasons in F1 determines whether you think this is a good decision or a bad decision. Yeah, it's funny how these things work. I imagine Sebastian Vettel will be on Carlos Sainz's Christmas card list for the for the rest of time. Uh, but Mark, when it, come, it comes to this, I mean, it's clear that Ferrari have gone to Sainz because they think he's going to be kind of a good partner for for Charles Leclerc I did a piece on the on the race website saying that uh, Ferrari might not quite be getting what they bargained for even though he's a really good choice what do you think of the the mindset that led to Ferrari taking sites and would you agree maybe it's it, it, it's not necessarily the 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 easy option that perhaps some think it is on that latter point yes I'd, I'd agree somewhere down the line I think there are there will still be some awkward moments on the Ferrari pit wall, um, but that's that's a bridge to cross when they they come to it. In terms of why they signed Carlos rather than the perhaps from the outside more obvious Daniel Ricciardo, who's a proven race winner, I think it was largely largely the fact that at the the respective stages in their careers. Ricciardo's five years older, absolutely bursting to win a world championship before the clock ticks down. He's 31 years old, uh, I think 31, um, and and has already proven himself to be a race winner. Um, so he's going he's going to be coming in there full of ambition and desire to win sooner rather than later. Um, Carlos is in an earlier part of his career, uh, has yet to have the opportunity of a top car in which uh, to win races, and is going to be um, is, is going to be more able to slot into the role that um, Ferrari envisage. So I think the problem with signing uh, Daniel for them is that. Leclerc is effectively their chosen one going forward for the next few years. And putting Daniel in there was potentially just giving them the exact same problem that they had with Seb, which was that as as a proven winner, he wasn't prepared to be in that role. And I don't think Daniel would have been either. And so I think Carlos is not going there as an outright number two. I'm sure the terms will be very similar to those that we used to see uh, in the Vettel Raikkonen days, when Vettel was the number one, uh, in, you saw a few races where, when Kimi was able to set pole position or be out of reach at the undercuts, etc., he was allowed. He was still allowed to fight f- for the win, but the emphasis was very much on Seb, just as it will be very much on Charles. But it's now down to Carlos to you know find a way through that and then see you know if what opportunities present themselves what's exactly the thing though isn't it status yes you carry that into the team with you but that that becomes much less important once the the actual uh, on track stuff starts and always performance will define who's the the favored driver who's the stronger driver and no doubt i mean carlos may be earlier in his career than someone like ricardo but we can't doubt can we that he goes in there thinking right i'm going to get this team behind me it doesn't mean he's going to actively create a massive schism but you know he's a good enough driver to cause to cause problems it just it, it just feels like although yes ricardo is the slight, slightly higher stage is the highest status driver and, I, and ricardo is the more rounded driver at this stage i don't think there's as big a gap between ricardo and science perhaps as, as some some make out so i think it's a good signing but there's there's potential for for there to be problems there what, what do you make of it scott yeah i think um I I'm of the I'm of the opinion that that signs is the less disruptive option. I think Mark has Mark has a much better way of, of, of phrasing that. When we were putting together sort of the list of reasons why signs is the right choice for Ferrari, um, if you look at how I think uh, how appropriate he is is the is is the is the best way to to describe it. I think 
you know, you you and I have slightly different, slightly different views of exactly what where Sainz's level is compared to Ricardo. I I think I think Ricardo is just a little is enough of a step ahead of Sainz that he would have caused Leclerc more trouble from the get go. But I I really rate Carlos, and I think even if it's a a more harmonious relationship or more harmonious atmosphere in the early months or the early stages. Signs is absolutely good enough to cause Leclerc trouble, but it depends how much Leclerc gets his feet under the table, whether or not this is a relationship whereby Signs falls into that Kimi role where Ferrari conveniently forgets about him because they're focusing on Leclerc. I don't think this version of I don't think this version of Ferrari will do that. I think they recognise the need for two well-performing drivers and I think that creates an environment where, where Sainz can show what he's made of. I think it's normally better for a team to have two strong drivers. Uh, so actually, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. But, you know, Sainz in terms of not causing disruption, etc., you know, he's a very he's a very professional, very professional in the way he works. But we should remember Toro Rosso when it was him and Verstappen, that got intensely political. Yes, there were lots of players involved in that, but Sainz was part of it. Also, the way Sainz manoeuvred himself out of Red Bull uh, wound Red Bull up a little bit. So, you know, Sainz is, he, he knows, I mean, he's his father's son, isn't he? Carlos Senior has a very good understanding of how to play the political game and how to get teams behind him and how to best out of himself. Not that That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing for a for a driver in, in motorsport. But... I, I don't. I don't really see. Even even if Ricardo has a better platform through his status, I'm not sure that that uh, other than that initial automatic impact, Ricardo and Science are necessarily that different in terms of the, the the potential disruption that 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 maybe caused the kind of disruption that always follows when you have um, two decent drivers. Having said that, probably the 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 big difference is that Science is not necessarily quite as strong qualifier as Leclerc is. And also we have seen him struggle a little bit when the when there's a bit of rear instability. I think that's quite an interesting comparison to where Vettel was at times last year. So maybe that that that, that car dynamics element of it I think could play a part in whether whether science is going to be significantly problematic initially or, or whether he will be that effective num- number two how, how do you see the kind of comparisons of those two mark in terms of that they're kind of operating windows I'd, I'd definitely say Le- Leclerc's just a little bit more broad overall even though science has improved in that regard yeah I'd probably agree that Leclerc's um slightly broader range um is uh, more able to um keep momentum with um, a bit of a rear instability. But I, I don't think Carlos is the, um, has as narrow a window actually as, as Seb. Seb was always looking for something very, very specific from the car. And when he got it with dynamite, I don't think Carlos is quite that narrow in, in um, range. But he's, um, this, if, if Carlos can develop the car, the, that, that, to, to the way he likes it, that will be a faster car than it would have been. Um, he it was interesting when actually when uh, oh early early last year when Alonso came back to test the McLaren, I think it was a Bahrain. So he was no longer racing it, but he came he came back to give them a second opinion on the car. And um, I was asking Carlos, did he say the same sort of things you were saying? And he said, no, actually. He said um, it was, he was saying it's better, but it's still got too much rear instability. And I said, no, no, for me, it's it's fine like that. At least it's got a, at least you can get it into the corners. He said, if you want to see what rear instability was like, you should have driven my Renault last year. And he was actually after um, a, a more responsive car than Alonso. So I think he's somewhere in in that. Uh, I think he's in t- towards that that end, but probably not as quite as adept as Charles at um, dealing with a, an, an unstable car. Yeah, so it'd be interesting to see how the car characteristics shake out. But the upshot is, though, Scott, that Ferrari have got a very good driver lineup here, haven't they? That's two drivers. We know Leclerc can win races. Science can win. Science has executed some brilliant races uh, in his time. He's always had a, a good knack for that. I guess most recently, you could look at Interlagos last year, where he started at the back. He kind of did a bit of everything in that race, a bit of overtaking, and then late on, 
on very old tyres. It was a minor miracle he managed to hold position at that final restart. So they've got people in the cars who can deliver consistent, strong points. So if the car's up to it, we will see World Championship challenges on both fronts, won't we? Yeah, and I think someone like Sainz, who is... uh who has been in that sort of midfield dogfight and he's uh yeah you're right executed all sorts of races he's um he's won class B from pole position he's absolutely obliterated his opposition in that battle uh he's had to fight back from adversity so he's um he he's well uh he, he I think he's well placed to take advantage of this because while the pressure especially when you're driving for a team like Ferrari is is so high Especially um, when you're when you're fighting for wins and out, outright wins, and you're responsible for a championship bid, that is a that is a different test altogether. But there is something to be said for being lifted out of the maelstrom of the midfield, and in some ways that will be easier. He will be a, he will have fewer cars to focus on at the front of the field. He will have fewer variables at play. He will have a better car underneath him. He'll have a better team on the pit wall in in theory. He'll have a better team in 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 the garage. So. He he will have more of what he needs in theory to get the most out of himself. And one of Sainz's biggest assets, I think, is his absolute determination to self-improvement. He's absolutely like Leclerc in this regard. He's a very very positive. I know what you were saying earlier about the Toro Rosso environment, but he, as you said, he's he's uh, he's Carlos Junior by uh, by actions as well as name, isn't he? He knows what it means to to get the team on your side. So. I think he's got everything he needs to to build on what he did in, in in the midfield, and he's got a podium rate of what is it like one in one hundred and two? I think that's I think he's had a one hundred two starts. That's obviously not reflective of his ability. And if the Ferrari is competitive from the get go in twenty twenty one, I really don't think it'll be very long before Sainz is putting in the sort of race performances that reward him with his first podiums and ultimately his first win. Yeah, it'd be nice for him to actually get onto a podium uh, at the right time this time, because obviously he was promoted into it uh, at Interlagos. But obviously, there were strong candidates for this drive. I mean, we said, Scott, on a previous podcast, I mean, I certainly said that I'd probably just take Ricardo over Sainz, so I still probably would have done, although it doesn't mean that one's a great signing, the other's a bad signing. I think they're still, as I said, still in sort of similar territory. What, what do you think, Mark? Would you have, would you have gone for, for Ricardo if it was completely your choice and your team? Um, I don't think I, I would have been that disappointed either way. Um, it would probably have been decided more on uh, what my budgets were and stuff like that. Um, so given the dynamic there um, and given that Ferrari see the Leclerc as their future, um I can perfectly understand their signing of Carlos. Um, but as you say, I think that doesn't mean that Carlos won't be able to form his own uh, corner there and look after himself and ultimately win races there. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's a fair way of looking at it. It's, yeah, it's, it's basically you've got a choice of two and, there and, and you've got two very, very good outcomes. And I do think you touched on it, Scott. Science has constantly improved himself, which is uh, always a very good... Uh, good example of what what makes a makes a good driver i do think as well that those sequence of teams he's been through going from toro rosso then to Renault, then to mclaren when he moved to rano he was surprised by how big a jump it was and how much there was to learn understanding how to use all the different tools the diff settings all these things and that meant that when he moved to mclaren he was a bit more prepared for that so he really thought right i'm going to go and i'm going to embed myself with the team so i'm going to understand how everything works understand how the people works and then that meant that he got to the start of uh, of the season knowing as well as he could without having raced the car how everything worked who everything was the team loved him everything fitted together and i think that's something he'll look to repeat with ferrari of course he's an italian speaker as well which which does make a difference not just for his commercial appeal for for an italian team and we should also say he's very very polished uh, off track probably more polished than ricardo who's a a big character but but a little bit more rough around the edges shall we say so that probably played a part but i think we'll see science do everything he can to mean he can hit the ground running at the start of 21 won't we yeah, I think uh, I think Carlos is just going to endear himself in every way, isn't he? He's going to he's going to put his best foot forward. And you mentioned that sort of apprenticeship that he's had in Formula One. That sequence of teams worked quite well for Alonso, didn't it? 
Um, Carlos is going down exactly the same route. Minardi slash Toro Rosso. Then obviously on to Renault, McLaren, now Ferrari. Hopefully, Sainz is obviously going to hope that it goes a little bit better. Yeah, it's, it's ever-increasing disappointment, that path leads you on, isn't it? it well, it is, but the, the, the trick is to basically not alienate people along the way. And I think um, there's also... Carlos hasn't had to go back to, to to Renault in between or anything like that, has he? So um, I think uh, I think he. It's a little bit like because um, obviously with Signs and Alonso, there has been that sort of like mentor relationship, and it must be quite useful for someone like Junior because if you look at someone like Max Verstappen, big part of his education. We've talked about this on a podcast before. Was Yoss basically teaching Max all the mistakes? you make in a in a racing career and then don't make them and that's one of the reasons why max's development has been so rapid and then i guess from a from a signs point of view with someone like alonso you've got a guy who is is available for when they're racing together in f1 and then when they were sort of colleagues at mclaren when alonso was still an ambassador and and even now when they're just sort of they've got a personal relationship outside of, of their career that's not a bad i'm not saying that alonso has made this possible by any stretch of the imagination but it's not a bad person to be able to lean on is it yeah definitely definitely it's all about learning isn't it that's uh that's what it's about should, should we move a little bit on to daniel ricardo we've we've touched on him obviously in his mind he was going to be the one at ferrari he got one tick in the bo- in the list of boxes with Ferrari having a vacancy, but he's not ended up uh, in the drive. Which uh, I guess if uh, if the Daniel Ricciardo that signed for Renault in uh, the middle of two thousand and eighteen was uh, looking at how it would have worked out, and he ended up with what is effectively a sideways mover, I think McLaren is a better place to be than Renault. He'd have been a bit disappointed. This uh, Mark, this master plan hasn't quite worked for Ricciardo, but he is still in the game with this move, isn't he? Yes, um, and I mean, in hindsight, jumping from the Red Bull to the Renault was only going to work if Renault ended up as a, um, a, a race-winning potential car uh, in quite short order, three years, maybe two, two, three seasons, and it's quite clear that that's not going to be the case. Um, so, yes, um, I think he's now better placed to stay in the game. Um I think McLaren has got with the um, the Mercedes engines on the way, and it's steadily improving technical core. I think you can see a, a clearer progression in competitiveness there um, than you when you look at Rennie. You say, well, why why is it going to make that jump? What are the reasons that you could believe that it's going to make that jump? And really, it's it, it doesn't it doesn't make such an obvious case for itself as McLaren does. And um, I think the delaying of the twenty or the new regulations to twenty two from twenty one is probably a little bit of a setback, um, and that would have been a nice clean sheet for everyone. And I think that would probably have helped McLaren more. But I think they still will be in a stronger position uh, f- than Renault for Daniel to a put himself in position um, and to, and make it obvious that he's uh, still still got what it takes and two for for that team itself to become a race winning proposition i think that i think that mclaren has effectively um sort of moved into the position that renault was in a couple of years ago hasn't it it's like uh positioned itself as not just best of the rest but best place to to make the step and that will have been what what concerned ricardo so much was he he had talks with uh, with McLaren. Zach Brown said a couple of years ago, didn't he, that they were really close to to getting him when Ricardo was leaving Red Bull. But ultimately, Renault was a better competitive proposition at the time, and it's it's a testament to not only the positive the positives of McLaren and the efforts they've made and the improvements they've made, but it's also testament to the to the problems at, at Renault that the works team hasn't been able to continue that momentum and they've been overtaken by their engine customer. And I think that Ricardo's basically looked at that and and just decided that it's better to make a sort of sideways step and half a step forward than it is continue backing the Renault horse because we shouldn't forget that Ricardo's not driven the 2020 car in anger. He's He's only done testing and they were cautiously optimistic, but he's made this decision without going racing in the 2020 car, the car that 
Cyril Abitable was hoping would convince Ricardo early on would be good enough to to prove that they're capable of making the steps that they need to. So it's a it's a big um, it says a lot about how much Ricardo how much confidence Ricardo has in 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 what Renault is doing at the moment and wants to do in the near future. It's funny, isn't it, to think how the situation this year might have impacted things. We knew it was going to have a have an impact, but you know, somewhere there's a, there's a universe where there's no uh, COVID nineteen and Sebastian Vettel's maybe torn it up in the first half of the season and gets a new deal. Renault takes a big step forward and Ricardo's convinced he's going to be mega and uh, and everything changes. So we'll we'll never really be able to judge uh, uh, how different things things would have been because certainly in Vettel's case it changes the game completely the fact that he's going to start the season when it gets going knowing he he's out of of the car but it, it is a funny thing for Ricardo because you know he's a, he's a man in a hurry. He's spoken over a few years now about being aware that the clock is ticking. You know, he's still got quite a few years ahead of him, but he knows he needs to get into a world championship car before it's too late. And he's basically managed to go in a situation where he's got two years older, effectively, and he's made a move to the best place midfield team in 2018 for the 2019 season. And now he's moving across to the best placed upwardly mobile midfield team for 2021. I think it's absolutely the right move to go to McLaren. It's interesting. I think it does tell us a lot about where Renault is at because yes we know all, there's all of the question marks about Renault's commitment etc there's still commercial things to be agreed for them to to continue we don't know what the budget level is going to be like etc etc but I think if if Ricardo was who will know vast amounts about what's going on in the team and what what the potential is if it was really that that great potential and it was on that upward trajectory that we'd expect of a manufacturer team he might well have thought, well, I may as well stay for a bit. So that that's interesting. And I could imagine if you're confronted by what McLaren are doing and what Renault are doing, you know, McLaren are being very strategic. I think Andreas Seidel's a, a great team principal. He understands how to run a racing team. He talks sense. He's got that sort of quiet authority of someone who who has a plan and isn't afraid to take long-term strategic decisions rather than panicking about making himself look good in the short term. So things like the Mercedes engine deal, things like the wind tunnel. And you can imagine Ricardo having this all run run past him and he'd think, yeah, this all absolutely, absolutely makes, uh, makes sense. But at the same time, Mark, we know it probably means the earliest Ricardo's got a chance of getting into a race-winning car again is 2022. And that's if, assuming he's still at McLaren then, if McLaren is able to make a big step forward because it doesn't look like they've done it with this year's car. There's no reason to expect that the continuation car next year will, will do that, even though there may be a bit of a bump from the Mercedes engine. So, yeah, it's now, what's that? That's about four years this, this has cost uh, Ricardo of uh, being in a race-winning car now. Yes, and I mean, even though McLaren is making progress, it was still, uh, even as um, head of Class B, if you like, it was still over a second adrift of the front. So it was many races getting lapped. So that, that doesn't you don't claw that back in with with one car with one iteration. Um, so that's what I was referencing earlier when I said the the, the delay of the new regs is um, while it's it's helpful to everybody in terms of um, the budgets, it's it's not helpful to the smaller teams that would have got a bit of a competitive reset. Um, so the the, the the build-up advantages of the top three teams would be neutralised and everybody would have to um, start again from scratch with a completely new set of technical regs. Um, so, yes, it's it's um, a race against time for Daniel in terms of uh, getting himself into a potential title-winning position. Um, he's, I think, clearly good enough to contend for a title. I think he showed that at Red Bull. Um, but whether he will ever get that opportunity at the moment, you would say the odds are, are less. Uh, you'd say the odds are against him, but it's not possible, but you would say the odds are against him. So, yeah, it's very much ticking down, and Daniel sees it that way as well. Yeah, ultimately, he's 31 in a few months. So while he's not a young driver anymore, he's still got a good five, six, seven, eight years if he wants it. So there is still time, but... Yeah, he sent himself on a, on a quite convoluted trajectory with uh, with this one. But I'd, I'd really like to see Ricardo have a shot at the championship. Uh, I 
think he was probably, well, no, I, I rated him as the best performer of uh, F1 in 2014. And you can make a good, compelling case that he was the best driver in 2016 as well. So this is a very high-class driver. So I, th- I think we want to we wanna see that. Scott, how do you see the way you'll slot in alongside Lando Norris? Because I think that's, I mean, I'm already quite interested to see how Sainz versus Norris goes this year. And I'm even more interested to see how Ricardo versus a third-year Norris goes next year. Yeah, well, just look at the time it took Ricardo to really get on terms with the Renault uh, last year. Um, it was uh, it was difficult for him to really go in there and make his mark against Nico Hülkenberg. I know that Hülkenberg was obviously much more experienced than Lando is now and will be in in uh, at the start of 2021. Um, but it shows that no matter how good you are as a driver, there are always challenges to overcome when you move to a new team. And by then, okay, Lando might not have many extra starts to his name by the time 21 starts but he will have another year inside the team he'll be um, he'll have his feet under the table he'll know how it works the car will be this car's designed around what Lando wants and what Sainz wants not what Ricardo wants so and and it's not just about Lando being comfortable either he's also a really 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 talented driver he's extremely fast for for ha- however impressive we view signs his 2019 season he only just about had the edge on Lando for pace and it was his experience on race days really that that made a big difference over the course of the season but Lando was also a pretty exceptional rookie in in 2019 so the more the more he gets uh the more he gets experience in in Formula One the more races he does the more polished he'll be and by the time Ricardo arrives there he will not be an easy person to to brush aside so let, maybe if you look at it optimistically, you could just say that Ricardo is definitely going to be kept on his toes. He might be waiting a little while for his title bid, but with a guy like Lando in the other car, he's certainly going to have a challenge on his hand in, in the meantime. So he should be nice and sharp if and when that title shot ever actually arrives. Yeah, it's easy to undervalue what Norris did last year in his rookie season. If you look at the points table, it looks like a, a fairly comprehensive uh, victory for Sainz, who had 96 points to Norris's 49. But Norris probably had more bad luck than, than most drivers. He lost some some big results. They both had some misfortune, in fairness. But I, I don't think that's... Uh, I don't think that helped Lando Norris uh, a great deal. And if you look at the qualifying comparison, uh, I always keep track of a, a kind of adjusted qualifying comparison so it removes anomalies and tries to compare like with like. And I think it was 10-9 in Norris's favour. And the, the, I think the feeling in the team, and this is probably why they're not they're they're fairly not happy but but content to be trading sites for Ricardo effectively, is that Norris, they feel, probably does have the greater underlying pace than Sainz. So potentially McLaren has has yes lost its more lost lost its lead driver in terms of results, but actually they've still got the one that they think's probably got the greater ultimate potential, and they've brought in a a great driver a, a, along them. So, Mark, if you're McLaren, you're relatively happy with this situation, aren't you? Yeah, and I think I'd be very very relieved that um, losing someone in the caliber of Carlos that there was a a ready made replacement on the market in in Daniel. Um, so yeah, I would be. Um, fairly relaxed about um you know it it's it's a it's a shame on a on a personal level because they did uh they did gel very very well um carlos and the whole team and and that driver pairing as well um but i think daniel will will slot in there very well too so um you 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 get a known level of performance a guaranteed level of performance and some money that can slot in. So, yeah, it could have been far worse uh, for McLaren. Well, given Scott Mitchell has uh, has moved to the edge of the frame on the uh, on the communications device we're using to to connect up, I can just I can just see his uh, Sweden football shirt shoulder sort of creeping into the frame. Well, to myself, but Mark, could you or would you like to make a case to say that McLaren should have signed Sebastian Vettel, who was linked with the team and, and available? Personally, I think Ricardo was the choice I'd have made. Vettel would bring a lot of qualities to the team so do you think they should have gone for him instead? No I don't think I would have gone for him instead I mean Seb's obviously a world-class driver still still with a searing turn of pace you you saw that um, in the latter half of last year as he, he sort of came back against Charles who'd established the momentum and he came back at him um, so he still has the the raw performance within him um, but I'd if I was in McLaren's position, I would be concerned that 
his motivation might not be as high as Daniel's. Daniel's still on that, on that upward trajectory as far as his career is concerned. He's still got it all to do, uh, whereas Seb's sort of coming down off off the, the, the plateau, isn't he? He's coming down off the, uh, having won four titles. Um, I'm not um, not being able to repeat it at, at Ferrari. So and you would be going from a um, a race winning car to probably a car that's not race winning yet. So yeah, I would question why Seb would be would be doing it if I was McLaren. Whereas Daniel, I could understand where the motivation was coming from. So no, I, I if I'd been McLaren, I would have been happier signing Daniel. And after my absolutely seamless uh, transition to trying to make sure my iPad didn't uh, didn't die and find a charger and plug it in, I will also contribute to this question and say I agree completely with Mark. Um, I just think between the two of them, you've got a, you've probably got similar pros, but maybe even more on Ricardo's side because he is sort of entering his peak, whereas Vettel has sort of been struggling a little bit the last couple of years. Um, and the, the cons aren't, aren't quite there either, so... Um, you do have to ask. You, you do have to ask what this means for for Vettel's uh, F1 career now, because that was his. But McLaren seemed the sort of logical move, and Renault is Renault. I guess is is an option, or your favoured punt Ed Racing Point slash Aston Martin. But um, there's uh, there there are question marks now over Vettel's only remaining options to stay in Formula One. Well, you're kind of trying to take command of what I've got to ask people now by saying you do have to ask about Vettel, but but I do. And of course, we talked about him a lot on our previous podcast. Uh, we haven't really heard so much from from Mark about this. So opening it up a little bit now, what what would you be doing if you were Vettel? What I mean, these are all different questions. What would you be doing? What do you think Vettel's thinking? And do you think Vettel will be able to find anything that would suit the ambitions he does have should he want to stay in Formula One? I think Seb would find it very, very hard to be motivated to be um, battling among the midfield. You know, even if you come out of the weekend knowing that you've done the absolute maximum with that car possible and all you've done is get lapped and finish sixth or seventh, it's it's not that's not going to do it for someone that's um, achieved what he has. I, I really don't think that his stage in his career he could get himself in the right frame of mind to make that um, acceptable long-term. So if, on the other hand, he could somehow get himself into the Mercedes in place of Valtteri Bottas or even a Red Bull reprise um, alongside Max, at least you would be in a potentially race-winning car. And I can imagine he would um, be motivated to the challenge of that. Um, it'd be an enormous challenge measuring up to either Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen, um, but I don't think he would be shy of taking that challenge on. Whereas I really don't think he would be able to find from within himself the necessary uh, commitment to um, a midfield drive. Yeah, I think what you said there makes a lot of sense. I must admit, I I quite, I mean, I don't, I don't think Mercedes or Red Bull, you can never say never, I don't think either of them are going to be signing Vettel. I'd quite like to see him go to a midfield team, which is hence the racing point Aston Martin thing, simply because I just like, I would like to see Vettel go out on slightly, on a, on a bit more of a high, shall we say, and he may yet do, because if he does retire, he's still got this season, such as it is, to, to come, so you never know. But he's a very good driver, and you know, we saw what he did in the Red Bull days, which were remarkable performances at times. When he's at his best, which are remarkable performances at, at times, when he's at his best, he's he's an absolutely wonderful driver. But yeah, it, it's hard to see him having the desire to uh, desire to do that, really, isn't it? Um, I mean, connected to Vettel, we would have to say that by by status, if Renault, which now has a vacancy alongside Esteban Ocon for for next year, now that Ricardo's gone. If they're looking for a high-status driver, then Vettel is one of the ones who is on the market. So, would you be looking at Vettel if you were if you were Renault Scott? Um, I, you'd have to look at him, but I think um, I, I wouldn't hold out hope of getting him because I think Ricardo's already given you a vast, massive vote of no confidence. So that's that sends a really really bleak message to to, to other big name drivers and. Abitable has already talked about the fact that just because they're a works team, they can't keep relying on 
on the promise and the the prestige and everything that comes with that to convince drivers because eventually eventually reality sets in and a driver won't look at it as well this is the works team this is this has got serious investment this has got all the right pieces in 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 place so this is a great project to join they will just look at it and say well there's a mountain there's a mountain of evidence now that suggests that this isn't a project that's going to that's going to succeed it's um it's a it's a woefully un- underperforming organization that, that's not uh that not reaching its uh, its true potential and i think the fact that i think the fact that abitable was so um dismissive of uh, ricardo in the the very um i don't even know what the word is to describe the statement they put out i think the word might be graceless um, scott it was yeah it was and i actually think it was um I think it was quite petty, to be honest, to bring loyalty into it because um, I made a sort of slightly flippant comment on on Twitter about the way that Renault didn't really care for all of the loyalty that they're talking about um, when it came to 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 flicking whether it was Magnussen or Palmer or or Sainz or Hulkenberg, and that's not that's not to say that Renault was wrong to get rid of those drivers, but it's just whether your team or driver there comes a point where you need to make a decision that is in your best interest. And loyalty is all well and good. And even in a heartless world like Formula One, there is a place for loyalty. But loyalty doesn't mean um, committing sort of career suicide or or hurting your own prospects significantly just for the sake of sentiment. And Renault would never have been expected to keep someone like Jolian Palmer on their books when he was underperforming compared to Hulkenberg. Likewise, when a driver like Ricardo becomes available okay, it's all well and good that Sainz has done a really good job there alongside Hulkenberg, but ultimately you can only keep one of those drivers because a better driver is available. So loyalty doesn't come into play there. You get rid of Sainz because Ricardo is better. And Ricardo's now in the position that Renault's been in with its drivers over the last few years. He's got a choice to make. Do I stick with one team that's not given me what it promised it would give me last year and see out my contract? He's not tried to bail out early or anything like that. He's adhering, you know, he's sticking to his side of the bargain. Renault hasn't stuck to theirs, so now he's looking at what he can do to further his prospects. He's completely entitled to do that. The one benefit for Renault is they have got rid of a twenty-five million dollar a year spend on a driver. So when it comes to looking at candidates, Vettel would be relatively big ticket in terms of cost. Fernando Alonso, who's on the market, of course, had his success. World Championship successes with with Renault, he'd also be uh, be a be a high value item. But Mark, where where do you think Renault's at in terms of what it's willing to spend on drivers? Given that there are some credible options out there that would do a good job, who would be uh, be the, uh, the the kind of <laughs> the, the the pound world uh, option, should we say, who, who we know would do a good job, but you wouldn't be spending a huge amount of money on to show that your car isn't actually that good. Yeah, I think the world is uh, the the world globally. Um, in terms of economics, is very different now to when Daniel and Renault did that deal. Um, I don't think you would get that deal now um, in, in a, if, if we rerun those um, circumstances now. So I don't think um, even an Alonso or a Vettel would um, be able to command that sort of salary that Daniel was able to command two years ago. Um, I think uh, the... Uh, possibility of Fernando coming back is very real. Um, he wants to come back. Um, wouldn't say desperate because that su- suggests the wrong tone, but he, he would very, very much like to be back. And even though we've talked about the limitations, the apparent limitations of the team, um, he probably figures he, just being on the grid at, at all would be his route back in to get himself um, further up the grid, either with that team or with another team. Subsequently, uh, I think his deal. Um, I'm not expecting anything imminent from Renault on uh, driver announcement that who's going to be replacing uh, Ricardo. And I think um, if it if it is Alonso, it would be a complicated deal because essentially it will involve him bringing the sponsors along with him that would effectively be paying his salary. Um, and if that if they can pull that off, that's got to be a very, very attractive deal for Renault because even though driver salaries aren't included in the the budget cap, you're still having to spend them. So you're still having to spend that money for the the, you know, the, the big money drivers. So um, if you could get a Fernando Alonso for a you know 
a net small number or even a, a, a neutral number. Um, but he can bring the sponsors with him that would pay him. Then that's got to be a that's got to be a real attractive proposition to 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 Renault. Yeah, it's clear that that cost is on Cyril Abitable's mind because he's been fairly open about F1 needing to do something to control the spending of teams on drivers. Whereas, of course, he was the one who did the twenty-five million dollar deals for yeah for Ricardo. So, you know, there's there's one quite simple solution to that, which is don't do the big money deals if you don't want to pay your drivers uh, that much. And you, and although you get what you pay for, there are got some very very good options and possibilities out there. So, I wouldn't say Renault's in a bad position because it, it's the it's the kind of best realistically available seat because, and I say that because I, I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine Mercedes are going to change. They might, I don't know for certain that, that they won't, but I'd be very surprised if they change. I'd be surprised if Red Bull goes outside of its closed shop, its closed loop Red Bull driver. So you have got a manufacturer team that is towards the front of the midfield at least. So that that's quite appealing. You've basically got your pick of the drivers as the as the, the cascade effect of Vettel uh, continues to be felt, haven't you? It's a nice route back into Formula One for the uh, for the jilted ex Renault driver Nico Hulkenberg, isn't it? Um, I'm sure he's uh, he he's quite keen to to come back to F1, but he doesn't want to come back just to make the numbers up. So if he thought that Renault had made progress since he he was ousted for for uh, for Esteban Ocon, then um, then maybe he'd be willing to go back there. It depends on whether or not he he left on on good terms. Um, I would imagine he left on slightly good, better terms than Ricardo is going to leave, based on that uh, a bitable <laughs> a bitable statement. But there are um, there are other drivers. There'll be the the youngsters outside of Formula One on Renault's books that will be seeing this as an opportunity to to get their big break. I'd say Guan Yu Zhou and uh, and Christian Lungard are probably the two guys at the head of the queue there. But this Ed seems like a really perfect opportunity for you to make your um, state mandated Sergio Perez pitch, doesn't it? I mean, it'd be a very good option. I just I just like Perez because I don't, I don't think he's going to be uh, taking dominant world championship victories or, or anything, but he's experienced. He's a great operator. He fits in really well. And, you know, for, for a team that may well benefit from having some money in he, he's a he's a good option if you're Perez I would imagine you'd want to say with with Racing Point which is becoming Aston Martin but Renault have tried to get Perez before a lot of teams have in, in that part of the grid and you know they do well to to at least have a channel open I'm sure that sure they will do uh, to him because you know what you can get you know Renault are a midfield team so who better to sign than the king of the midfield yeah I mean the, re- the reason I mentioned Perez is because um, you've made this argument before that um, a team like Racing Point that's morphing into Aston Martin and has the the, the money of Lawrence Stroll and his wealthy associates um, behind it. What better statement of intent for Aston Martin to make than to have Sebastian Vettel in the team for for their for their their push in Formula One from next season? And let's let let's be realistic. Lawrence isn't going to sack his son, is he? So if you're going to well, try well, and find I, a way, I don't, know, I don't know about that because if Lawrence Stroll wants to be taken seriously as someone who wants that team to succeed, if Lance does not unlock the underlying potential, and there is potential there, he's going to have no choice. Otherwise, I can't take that team seriously. Because if they want to do what they've got to do, you've got to have the two drivers who can do it. Stroll might evolve into that, but he's got to show that he can. Yeah, but he's... I I, I agree, but that hasn't stopped Lawrence putting him in the car up to now, has it? So I don't, I don't think that... I don't think that really changes it as long as he thinks he's got one guy in the car in the other car that's actually going to do do the business and I just think if you're going to have to try and awkwardly extract one of those guys from the team Perez Perez has got a contract there to 22 I think or maybe is it only until till next year I can't remember off the top of my head um but Perez I can see I can just see them trying to sort of move Perez aside to get Vettel in and if that happens then Renault would be stupid not to go for him, but obviously that's just uh, like just totally hypothetical. Well, I think Racing Point could get a lot out of it. I think they're a great racing team; they work really well, and so yeah, they should look at someone like uh, someone like Vettel. But and it does show that there's still potential for some other unexpected effects in the driver in the driver market to, to have an have an impact. Um, and, and Renault, I guess, is, is probably the next domino to fall because I don't really see Mercedes necessarily as being a part of it. I mean, obviously, Toto Wolff's made some polite noises about Sebastian Vettel. I think he said, where's the effect of, well, when a driver like that becomes available, yeah, that that does 
change a driver market but i think that was more out of just decency rather than saying no we're not interested uh red bull have sort of suggested they're not interested or couldn't afford uh vettel anyway so uh but, but you never know the, these things the, the driver market's a very unstable kind of thing and you're you're waiting on the whims and the decisions of of individuals and you know we can put ourselves in their places but different people's priorities and thought processes vary do, do you think there'll be any shocks mark I would just put in a little proviso that um, let's assume we get this season up and running and um, let's assume that Alex Alban um, doesn't do what um, we all hope he will do and be a, uh, you know, a genuine front runner. Um, and let's just suppose he, he struggles and, uh, they get to the end of this season, and he, you know, he's not—he's not got any closer to Max than he did last season. Um, what does Red Bull do at that point? Does it just it just plug in another junior driver? But they seem to be running out of them, or certainly running out of ones that they haven't already tried. Um, or do they? They could sign Sergio Perez. They could do that, but I, yeah. <laughs> My or, answer to everything. Or do they um, do a? Uh, a low price, low price deal with Seb, and plug in the the, the known performance of of Seb. Yeah, it's it's difficult with with Verstappen like that because I think Verstappen would be fairly confident he could still lead the team. But with that, for a team that's really had to focus on building itself around Verstappen, would bringing in the old Red Bull stager and a driver who would see himself as as reclaiming that team as his be a, be a safe and sensible move i don't know i mean i'm i'm definitely not ruling it out because anything anything is possible yeah and i don't think this seb would ne- under those circumstances seb would necessarily see it as reclaiming his team i think um you might just see it as um a way of uh showing that he was still um very very high level driver and able to uh, fight for fight for wins and I, I don't know what you think i don't know what you think mark but i suspect as well that Having seen off someone like Ricardo, and then seen what Leclerc's done to Vettel at Ferrari, I would imagine that Max would be pretty confident he's got Seb's number as well. So he wouldn't necessarily feel totally threatened by it, and therefore he wouldn't get sucked into to being disrupted or performing at a worse level. Yeah, I I, I could see it work, and I don't think it's going to pan out that way. Um, I would hope that Alex is um, really going to. Uh, do what's required to make that drive his own. But if it doesn't, um, I, I wouldn't rule it out. Well, there will need to be some creative uh, creative thinking from Red Bull if, if that happens, certainly. So, yeah, it's possible. What, one, of the things that, one of the things I just wanted to add to, the, to that is um, I remember in, in Japan last year speaking to, uh, speaking to someone uh, high up at, at Red Bull about the prospect of, of getting Seb back in. Um, and this was obviously at a time when Verstappen's future wasn't uh, wasn't nailed down. They've, they'd managed to keep him for 2020 because of uh, because of that strong first half of the year, and I think he was third in the championship, wasn't he, going into the summer summer break? But there was a question mark about Max's long term commitment, and Red Bull's position was basically that if Max left, then they were quite confident that they'd be able to get Seb back. And that they'd want to have Seb back, they're on great terms with him, so it would work. But they, the two, the reason that they wouldn't have the two of them together, it's partly financial. They don't want to fund two megastars, but also they don't want two alpha drivers in the same team. And that is what Seb and Max would be. And now they've got Max on that long-term deal. And Red Bull has sort of set its stall out quite emphatically, hasn't it? That this is now this is Max Verstappen plus one, and that plus one just needs to be good enough to do to to do the job so i guess it would depend on whether if alex as you say mark i really hope alex does step up and become that driver if not my suspicion is that red bull would maybe entertain the idea of vettel coming back but would ultimately settle for giving gasly another try i can't imagine they'd go back to kvyat but as as mark sort of said they they have uh They've basically run themselves out of options. It does showcase the fact that Vettel's mindset keeps coming up. That 
the real question there is really what's going on inside his head. And we don't really, well, we don't, we don't know. We don't know if he thinks, actually, I've had enough of this. I want to go and focus on other things in life. He's got, he's got three kids, I think now. So he's got lots going on, uh, away from Formula One. Does he have that, that desire to still win world championships and be a, be a lead driver in a top team? Or is it, as you suggest, Mark, is there, a, I, I want to just go in and show I can still do it a little bit and go out on, on slightly different terms and just, you know, Winning some races in a Red Bull would uh, would probably serve that purpose, even if he couldn't uh, couldn't bother Max Verstappen over the season. And does he have the appetite for a long term midfield project, which is what something like uh, Renault or or the Racing Point Aston Martin thing would do? So in- in- interesting, isn't it? We we'll just have to wait to see what Seb decides to do. Anyway, I mean, we I think me and Scott in our recent podcast thought most likely he would uh, he would end up retiring, but that wasn't kind of a one hundred percent prediction. That was a balance of probability maybe that will happen what, what what would you put your money on if you had to mark oh unfortunately mark it's just lost, it's lost internet just to ask him that question well uh know what we think but overall scott i think we can agree this this is quite exciting for formula one for 21 isn't it we thought the driver market might be a bit stagnant vettel's decision has had a big impact and i think it's it's great to have drivers moving around isn't it because it just makes for great storylines puts different drivers up against each other in the same team and just freshens everything up doesn't it oh it really does um the amount of movement is um is fascinating i'm just sort of uh just having a little look really at the the way the grid's changed since like even 2019 20, 2018 like the we haven't gone racing in 2020 um by the time we go racing in 2021 Renault will have a totally different lineup to what they had in in 2019 one of the McLaren drivers has moved on one of the Ferrari drivers has has moved on um who knows if uh, Kimi Raikkonen will still be kicking around at Alfa Romeo but he'll still be there um obviously the the, <laughs> the Red Bull saga you've had a driver come in get flicked halfway through the season and then go back to Alfa Tauri um it's been the 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 constant through it all has been mercedes lewis hamilton and valtteri bottas over the last few seasons and it's probably the reason why they're so good and seem unbeatable in title terms but even if that's not going to change next year we're still going to have so much to talk about and look forward to and a a new driver coming in at the very at the very very sharp end someone like signs joining in at ferrari and i think don't won't Sainz and Leclerc make up what must be the youngest driver lineup in half a century or something for for Ferrari? It's a, it's a young pairing. They'll be twenty three and twenty six, I think. Yeah, they had the uh, they, they had X and Amon for a time, uh, and took two car two cars for them at times, which was uh, a bit younger. But yeah, it's it's very rare to go so young. So it's just it's just great. It's great to see, and then you're going to see the challenge of of Ricardo getting to grips with with McLaren and going wheel to wheel with with Norris and is Alonso going to be back on the grid or is Vettel going to be having a a swan song in a midfield team that oh, there's so much to look forward to and yeah we've got a bit of a rubbish situation going on at the moment but I'm optimistic that once we come out the other side there's still going to be a lot of fun to be had let's put it that way yeah oh oh we ha- I think we have oh, Mark Hughes back I'm back. Excellent. Well done. Well Internet done. Down. In that case, I'll, I'll fire the question that uh, that you weren't able to answer a minute ago, which is, what's your best guess, the most probable course of action for Sebastian Vettel? Um, I think he's going to retire. I think he would like uh, nothing better than to get in a Mercedes or a Red Bull. Ultimately, I don't believe that will happen. And I think he will think of something else to do with his life. Yeah, I think that's pretty much in line uh, with what myself and uh, and Scott have been saying. But uh, I mean, Scott was just saying in, in general terms, it is it is good that we're seeing this freshening up for next year because 21 was threatening to be not not a damp script because a grand prix season never is but because it's been cast as 2020 part two rather than 21 the big brave new world for for f1 there was a little bit of a sense of anticlimax. but having these these key driver moves is uh it's going to make next season something really to get excited about isn't it yeah absolutely it always just gives that dynamic quality to a, a season doesn't it when there's a bit of a a shuffle in the top top seats i mean it's all one all well and good to to see the silly season playing out in the midfield but it's uh, much more exciting when it's the um one of the the top seats yeah 
Yeah, well, that's uh, that Leclerc versus science battle is going to be one to one to watch. It always changes the dynamic of the team, and I think well deserved for Carlos Sainz. Uh, well, we should probably finish there. And thanks very much, Mark, for making a heroic late entry just to to, to complete the question that uh, <laughs> uh, that, that I'd asked. Uh, thanks very much, Scott Mitchell, as well. I, I think Scott's still here, but he's just he's just frozen uh, on my screen with a slightly smug look on his face. So uh, so I, I'm not quite sure what's going on there. But uh, anyway, we don't need to hear from him. Uh, do check out therace.com and don't forget the hyphen we've all been writing all sorts of stuff about the driver market on there delving into lots of the things we've talked about here and and many others as well and of course we've got esport coverage on there indycar as, as well as f1 there's loads for you to read on there check out our youtube channel as well if you search for the race there you'll find loads of videos uh, including one having a look at the reasons why ferrari signed carlos science and also do subscribe to some of our other podcasts as well the gary anderson f1 show comes out every week we've got a, an episode out with him talking about the vettel ferrari situation at the moment we've got bring back v10s which tells classic f1 stories an esport podcast uh, moto gp podcast as well uh, so thanks very much uh, I, I won't sign off with the stay home stay safe because the rules are changing a bit but uh, all i will say is please join us next time on the race f1 podcast mm-hmm.